welcome to a new episode of Design Cafe, a podcast where we have mindful, candid conversations for designers in tech. This season, we're going to cover a lot of difficult but important topics like the challenges of career growth, toxicity at work, mental health and diversity, equity and inclusion. These are topics that maybe don't get talked about as often as we like, but they no less impact us all as designers. I'm your co-host Susan. And I'm your co-host Sandrine. If you like our podcast, please follow and rate us on your podcast platform. You can follow us on Twitter, where we are at Design Cafe, and LinkedIn, where we are Design Cafe. Our website is designcafe.com, which includes a link to our Buy Me A Coffee page as well, in case you want to buy us a coffee to help support our podcast. Okay, so in episode 62, we're going to talk about basically shitty interview experiences. <laughs> We've all had them, or if you haven't had them, then you're incredibly lucky. Um, so yeah, we're going to deep dive into the frustrations a lot of us experience when trying to find the right job, some terrible interview experiences. We won't go too much into specifics. This is not about naming and shaming. It's more around creating creating a space to vent a little bit, but also to uh, criticize and challenge what is um, a very non-optimized experience for a lot of uh, designers looking for jobs. Uh, there are a lot of things about the interview experience to fix. Um, so yeah, I'm going to deep dive into that. So let's start with getting an overview maybe of some classic examples of shitty job search experiences. <laughs> um, what, what do you think? think about when I say you know typical shitty job search experiences <laughs> I have some examples that come back from my own experience right away I would say I could often categorize them around first my my experience with recruiters um, I think often bad experiences can happen with recruiters that are just either feeling disengaged or are just treating you a little bit like a number. So I've had, yeah, I think I had some frustrations dealing with these kind of people. Obviously, thankfully, I've had also some wonderful recruiters um, out there. So, uh, and they remind me actually how good and how much of a difference they make uh, when they are good because they keep me so motivated actually during the pipeline, getting through the stages and they prepare me and then all of that. So when you know what a good recruiter looks like, then the, the bad ones they just really flash and stand out in a bad way. Um, so there's that. And otherwise, for me, the other category belongs more to the, I guess, the interview experience itself, where I've had some people doing absolutely nothing to put me at ease, trying to actually get the best out of me during the, that time that they had with me. They're, yeah, I've had a few experiences where... Either the person was not really polite or kind or they clearly were very unprepared to provide, um, I guess, a calm, peaceful, <laughs> as much as possible interview where they could get the most out of me and really get to understand my work and what I'm about as a designer. So I think usually I've kind of, yeah, had the expenses rotating around those two, two categories. What about you? 
definitely uh, agree with those two categories. I've had a, my fair share of really bad recruiter experiences as well. Um, the, the good thing is that when I do have good recruiter experiences, they stand out so much that I remember them forever. Like for years and years, I remember yes, the, the great recruiters um, I've had to work with. I'll add a third category to yours, a third broad category, which is the transition from looking for the job and interviewing to onboarding almost because the the point of applying for a job and, and finding and interviewing for them is to find the right job and, and so much hinges on the, the job actually being the right one uh, and there are some frustrating experiences when you show up and you spend a bit of time and you're just like this is not what I was sold. <laughs> what is what is this? Um, so yeah, there's that as well. When there's a discrepancy between what you thought you were applying for and what you end up doing. That also happens during the interview process sometimes, where you show up for the interview and actually the job description does not really match the person that they're needing, and then they're starting to add extra responsibilities to to. Um, to the bar, like, I don't know, marketing design, for example, for when you're looking for a product design gig. And sometimes they don't really make it explicit. And, you know, it's it's fine if you're a small startup and you need someone to wear several hats, it's totally all right. But then you have to say up front because some people don't want to actually do, they really want to double down on one particular type of work and and yeah it's quite frustrating when you show up and then they're like oh yeah so we're looking for a person to do this and this and this and it's like hold on this isn't what we talked about yeah 100% um, I think it it happens when the hiring team or the hiring whoever's on the hiring team don't actually know what they're looking for I've had a couple of experiences where I speak to one person who's who's saying oh we're looking for this type of person it sounds like a good fit and then the more people I talk to in interview <laughs> process the more I'm like hang on <laughs> they're all saying different things I don't think they're aligned and then yeah that's a big red flag yeah absolutely I think for me a frustration in carries a little bit beyond the the search of the job because it, it happens once you found it but I find frustrating when some teams make they go through the effort of trying to find a person that they think they need and let's say they they want to invite a UX designer into their process and into their team they think or at least they claim that they are ready to go more UX mature but actually when they welcome that person they actually do absolutely zero, like nothing to change their process and actually invite the person in the workflows and modify the workflows to learn from that person's expertise and they stick to their old way of doing things and that also is really frustrating because you actually sold a job to for to a person saying hey this is a job where you have an opportunity to make an organization ux mature for example and actually whilst obviously that person can still try to make the most out of that opportunity sometimes if the organization is not actually ready to embrace that change. Sometimes I feel that they've actually oversold the job a little bit too much. Yeah, absolutely. Or sometimes maybe in a different scenario from what you're thinking of, I I also find that some hiring teams hope that when they hire this wonderful UX or UI or product design person um, into a not so UX mature organization that that person's gonna magically change everything single-handedly but when 
but they don't give that person the support to do that and so they also end up blaming the person for not magically changing everything so yeah there's a lot of a lot of stuff yeah and then they're back to square one trying to find someone new to then go back to the same vicious circle uh, one thing I also thought of um, to add to the pile <laughs> of bad experiences is when you're lucky enough to get feedback, the feedback doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yes, I forgot about that one. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's, I, oh my goodness, so many examples of really weird and frustrating feedback. Like uh, I can remember one time I got lots of detailed feedback on how um, I... I wasn't on something around how I wasn't good at project management or that the case studies didn't demonstrate project management. And I was like, but I'm not applying to become a project <laughs> manager. I'm a designer. Um, or uh, feedback that is, you know, one good thing to do when you go into the latter stages, especially of an interview, is to ask the people interviewing you what exactly it is that they're looking for. Uh, that's really smart and, and they should give you some sense of like an overview of or an outline of what what it is that they're looking for it's not supposed to be some sort of challenge or hoops you have to jump through uh, and so sometimes I've experienced that I've done that and then the feedback that comes back is totally unrelated to all the things they originally said that they were going to uh, quote-unquote score me on so it feels like they're just making things up on the spot if you know what I mean <clears throat> it's it's also classic human behavior of uh, saying one thing and doing a completely <laughs> other one like it's yeah it's it's quite classic bias or error I don't really know how you would categorize it <laughs> I, I think in terms of feedback um, I mean I guess we should consider ourselves lucky to to even get some because sometimes we don't but for me, what frustrates me is when you get really bland feedback that actually it's almost like it could have applied to any candidate um, or feedback that should have been caught up way early on in the in the process. Like I've seen sometimes um, cases where you'd get through all the way up to final stage and by that time when you arrive in final stage, you I mean... When I get there, usually I consider that I'm definitely a candidate that has potential and usually I should have everything to succeed in that phase if my work is, you know, um, good quality, etc. I've already demonstrated that I match the responsibilities of the job and blah, blah, blah. Those checks should have been done. But sometimes, somehow, there's a piece of feedback that comes through and says you're not experienced enough or you're not X, Y, Z or you don't have experience in that industry or with X type of stakeholders. And I'm like, well, hold on. If these are really crucial for someone to be successful in that role, I totally get that. But then why do you wastes your your time because they're also wasting their time like interviewing is a long process and takes a lot of energy from everyone they're wasting everyone's time going through all these rounds when that's something that a, a recruiter could have asked a few questions about early on and yeah that i really really don't get and i find that really frustrating when this happens yeah they when they give you feedback like that and they pose it as some sort of deal breaker thing like oh it needs experience in xyz and they didn't screen for it in the very beginning. It 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 just 
it makes it hard to trust what they're saying because it like i said it sort of feels like they're just justifying their decision and making things up on the spot when actually maybe there were some other other reason or human biases like you said or yeah so yeah that's really frustrating what are your experiences or experiences you've observed maybe secondhand of just people who aren't good at interviewing people yeah so i mean i've had a few experiences where I actually almost wanted to uh, drop out of, of the interview because um, clearly the, the, the conversation was so uncomfortable. So yeah, I've had I've had one one example that um, that I just I keep keep with me keeps going back to my mind, I guess, with someone who was really poor, I guess, at putting the other person at ease and asking, you know, when someone asks you a question and they already have an answer in mind of what you need to answer, but they are really, really strict about it. So they're not really open to you giving a different answer. And if you don't answer what they want, they're basically, they get cold after you give the answer. And basically what they give you as a direct feedback loop is that, well, the conversation isn't going well. But what they're also doing is that, for me, they're, they're showing that they're not particularly a person that I want to work with because obviously, I don't know, it's just a very poor dynamic to mm. put in place with someone. It's like, first of all, you can't expect someone to give you an exact answer that you have in mind. Sometimes great candidates would actually offer a lot of diverging thinking from what you, you have yourself. Um you know, great experiences come in different shapes and skills show in different manners as well. So I think you need to dig a little bit deeper and ask several examples to like really get someone's depth of experience. So that is kind of like worrying for me. And that also shows some, that also shows kind of, I guess, what they are like working with people. Mm. But yeah, that's been quite, yeah, just, just kind of uncomfortable type of experience. And for me as a designer personally, what I really struggle with when is when I'm being interviewed by someone who wants very clear and again very specific types of design experience. So, for example, do you have experience of designing with dashboards, for example? And you know, if you obviously are going to work in a, on a tool that you know has a lot of dashboards and all that, you're totally totally fine to like prep the week for to say make sure you ask candidates to come prepare with these kind of examples they have them and all that but also I think for me what was really difficult is that there was a resistance to understanding that the design process applies to any type of solution dashboard is a type of solution like I mean what matters is what is the reasoning that the person went behind and why did they put that solution in place how did they get to that and then how good what was that solution actually and how did it solve that initial problem and for me that was really really frustrating to like it was like well actually what do you mean even by dashboard like there's all kinds of dashboards like i don't know your banking app has a small dashboard but it's a very minimalistic dashboard and then you go obviously on like google analytics yeah you have dashboards there too but that we are completely like talking about completely different shapes of dashboards so yeah, you see, it's like these kind of things where it's like, okay, you're taking something very specific and you're not applying it to how people, how things work. Yeah. Yeah. Can uh, I long, ask? Long ramble. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious to know in, in those instances, was the person or were the people 
who asked for that specific experience with with you know dashboards for example were they designers or were they no not a, this yeah. person this person yeah. particularly was not a designer yeah yeah i think i've i've experienced and observed that problem where the person who's trying to evaluate whether or not a designer or whether or not this person they're interviewing is the right fit for the role they don't understand they don't have the basic understanding of what like how designers work and what experience in design is yeah i mean i get that but also i've seen some people from other functions engineers pms product marketers and they had they had great understanding of what design does or at least they have a basic understanding that it, co- it you know goes through a problem then research then solution phase and so actually i don't want to excuse that <laughs> Like at some point, yes, it's not the expertise, but they can have a basic understanding. Just like I know that, you know, product manager's role, for example, is to understand the markets, the business priorities, and, you know, try to figure out where the opportunities are and then prioritize according to that so they can deliver that value to the markets. Like I understand that as a designer and for the engineers, the same, I have a broad picture of what they do as well. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I completely, I completely agree it's it's not an excuse and i've i've interviewed engineers and product managers before and i i know that you know i wouldn't ever think oh if if i'm interviewing an engineer that that engineer has to have experience working with figma for example or storybook or you know it's that's not that's not how that's not how it works um the reason i asked is because you reminded me of this one time i was <laughs> i was offered a job in a company um, which had a very specific um, uh, career progression and uh, salary framework. And it was the most bizarre thing because according to their framework, actually they, they lied about the framework, but that's that's a whole other rant I won't go into. They pretended the framework was a lot more open and democratic not democratic but a lot more equal than it was but anyway the real framework was that um anyone who was not an engineer um the the level of experience they had was counted by years of experience uh, engineers level of experience was also counted by years of experience that was the sort of the unit of experience is how many years of experience do you have working as an engineer or a marketer or a designer the thing is if you were an engineer with six years of experience and you had a designer with six years of experience, the designer's experience only counted for three years of experience <laughs> compared to the engineer. And their rationale was because um, uh, the specific area that this company was operating in was very, it was just very specific, uh, very specific industry. I won't say what it was, but it's just very, not niche, but... Um, Let's let's give. I'll give a totally different example. I used to work for a childcare um, marketplace startup, uh, and it was the equivalent of saying, "Okay, um, if you're an engineer with six years of experience, we're gonna say we're gonna pay you as an ex- engineer with six years of experience. But if you're a designer with six years of experience, because you don't have six years of experience in childcare, you're you're only mm. worth three years of experience." It's a very long-winded way yeah. of explaining it, <laughs> but it was bonkers. Like I. I had no experience working in childcare before I worked for that startup, but that doesn't matter because that's not how designer careers 
work and um yeah i don't know every every person i tell this story of of that bonkers job offer to they just cannot believe it it's the most ridiculous thing they've ever heard of uh and yeah i obviously didn't i obviously obviously did not accept it because i'm you know it's 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 like saying i'm worth half an engineer <laughs> which is just pretty much silly yeah. so yeah and in that case it was non-designers um making that judgment as well so oh get good to vent about that on the podcast as well yes vent a little bit it's always good <laughs> but how how do you deal with people who don't know how to interview well like what are some things you can do apart from dropping out of the process of course but well for me when I'm on the interviewee side um what I do is that I I give feedback to my to my recruiter if the recruiter is good um I actually tell them well look I was you know this part of the experience was pleasant, this other part was not, and for X was that reason. Or I say, this person seemed to be looking for X, Y, Z experience. You might actually want to screen for that type of experience before you send people further down the the recruitment pipeline. So I try to give feedback on my end as well. Because I think, you know, it's helpful. I've had actually recruiters thanking me sometimes for giving back some some feedback on the rounds of interviews etc because it helps them just providing a better experience to candidates too some of them are really open to that which is good otherwise um when i'm on the recruiter side or (laughs) or at least on on when i'm on on the job i would say (laughs) i try to uh you know, just make colleagues aware that it's important that we provide a, a good interview experience. So, I mean, for the most part, I've not, I've been lucky to not have the experience of seeing a colleague not being kind to a candidate. But if this was to happen, I would probably try to give them a bit of feedback of being like, well, trying to provide feedback to that colleague again or reinforce, you know, trying to set up workshops being like okay when we interview people what are we looking for and then you can actually bring up a section around what experience do we want to provide during the interview so you don't just make it about that you also bundle it with like what do we look for in people who want to join our team and what kind of experience do we want them to have so if you bundle it like that you're not just making it the sole focus of it but at least it's a part of what people think about and then you can reflect as a team around what experience and then once you set guidelines and principles it's a lot harder to be an arsehole <laughs> so so yeah I think that's a great point I uh, whenever I'm on the hiring side or in hiring teams, I think it's so important to have things like workshops or retrospectives on your hiring process and not just write up your or design your interview process and then never change it. I think it's really important to reflect on how it's gone and to evaluate each other as a hiring team. It's it's not about like necessarily singling out one person, and but it's about, you know, what kind of experience do we as a company and as a team want to give to the, to the people we're interviewing um, and what are some ways we can make that even better so yeah that's that's really important and I, I think I can no- I notice when I'm on the interviewee side that the hiring team has gone through that process and they really yeah, you can feel it yeah. yeah they really thought about it and you can really tell when they haven't yeah for sure 
And I think going back to the the category about feedback, I think it goes the same way as well. If you're on the recruiter side and you've, you know, you've interviewed someone, then make sure you take time to write good feedback. Um, if you have a good, if you work with a good recruiter, usually they will pass on that feedback. I actually su suspect sometimes that recruiters don't give feedback simply because the team that was hiring did not particularly give any that was, let's say, objective and, and easy to translate to a candidate. Um, I've seen sometimes actually some feedback that was quite harsh and not particularly mindfully written. Um, and sometimes I actually wonder <laughs> that the recruiters have a tough time kind of picking the arguments to, to give back to the candidates to help them grow in their job search. So yeah, so I try to be mindful around providing actionables of like, okay, these parts were great, but this person might want to think about, you know, expanding on this or improving the storytelling or their portfolio or whatever, like, you know, kind of things that they can actually take action on and that they can potentially research and, and go away with as a way to be more successful in the next, next job. So yeah, I think the feedback that we give is also crucial. Absolutely. I think sometimes when you, when the feedback isn't very good is when they, the people giving the feedback don't differentiate between feedback that's related to how that designer is as a designer versus uh, an artifact of the interview process. So for example, I've observed some people be given quite yeah, harsh feedback about seem not seeming nervous but being a bit quiet or being a bit flustered and it's like mm -hmm. it's an interview process of course they're going to you know some people are going to be a bit nervous or yeah. or feedback on I've also observed feedback on uh, design live design tasks or whiteboard challenges where the solution seemed rushed or not well thought through and it's like well of course it's not going to be well thought through they were literally just given the challenge and oh please let's talk about design tasks oh my gosh <laughs> they are the worst I don't care if you pay people like paying people does not make design tasks better uh, it feels like it feels like the industry has gone towards Oh, as long as we pay people, it's fine. It's it's not. They're not representative of what it's like to be a designer for that person. Yeah, I I agree. I I'm less frustrated by the take home task because at least I guess it goes back maybe to my introverted nature. But at least I feel like it's just just me in the task, and I can I can actually get my brain working on it. For me, the frustration is really with those whiteboard challenges where I understand that you can prep and prep and prep but I think at the end of the day for me it's even at work right now if you give me a brief I am not going to work on that brief for the next five minutes like I need to let my brain absorb and I need to take time to myself in isolation as well like unless obviously I'm in a, a pairing session where I feel like I can start you know bouncing ideas with a colleague but the thing is, when you're in an interview, as much as the person wants to be friendly with you, the reality is that you are not colleagues yet. And there's there's a, a difference of, it's not that there's a difference of power, but almost there's a kind of a bit of a power dynamic where clearly one is in an, as the advantage of the on the other. And even if you're trying to erase that, I think, unfortunately, it exists. And ignoring it, I think, doesn't doesn't help. And I feel like it just, Often what frustrates me is that I find that it just helps 
one particular type of person to shine and the other ones actually to not do their best and show what they're capable of. And for me, the biggest frustration I have out of any job interview process is to feel like I could not give my best. And often that's when I've not really been set up for success as well. So really reflecting how you can be inclusive in your design approach, in your not in your interview approach, to make sure that you set up everyone for success, not just the confident person, not just the extroverted person, not just the experiment, experienced person as well. Like sometimes you have, you know, if you're interviewing juniors, they're going to be like a lot more, I guess, a lot less confident with what they're presenting to you, like, and so forth. So I think, yeah, I just feel like this is just not suited to get the best out of people. And yeah, I don't, I just disagree with it no i i really despise them and i think you hit the nail on the head when you say it's not in, like it's not inclusive i don't think any design challenge is inclusive and or i have i have not seen any inclusive design challenges i don't as i'm i agree with i'm like you i i prefer take-home challenges because i'm an introvert and i don't have children and i don't have an extra job and I don't have you know mm -hmm. people to look after so I have the privilege of taking the time to do it in my yeah it's true in my, in my spare time but a lot of people don't it's not so it's not an inclusive thing to give people that's very yeah. true I actually never really reflected on those aspects because <laughs> as you said I am privileged I have all the time in the world to spend six hours on a task <laughs> if I want to some people don't it's very yeah. true and but then equally live design challenges whiteboard challenges like these kind of uh, let's work together challenges they're not inclusive either because for to people who don't think on the spot or people are introverts or or and also it's not representative of how you actually work so yeah. it's yeah it's not representative like I've never seen in the workplace apart from maybe um design sprints but even then you have a you have actually a week not not an hour um I have never seen something like that in the workplace where you are expected to output uh, research questions and then um, metrics for measuring success and testing plan and solution development and you know like and wireframes all under an hour and it's yeah I don't know I don't see what people get from that kind of exercise when actually a thorough exploration of a portfolio or I don't know. I think you can have a different approach. You can ask people to come up with uh, a Figma file and ask, you know, dive into more of the details, how they hand it over to devs, why this specific solution, try to recreate design critique, but with their work. So at least they know what they're talking about. They already have the context. They can they can rely on what they know and it's it's less imbalanced in that sense. Absolutely. It's... So much of being a good designer is taking the time to observe and form relationships around the business, observe the business landscape, observe how the organization works, observe metrics over time, observe uh, customer service calls. And you can't do that when you're given a problem on the spot. Um, it's, yeah, so, yeah, completely agree. Yeah, and going back to people not great at interviewing, I think... The, the failure of this people is even greater doing those design challenges because if you're not good at making people comfortable, then you really are going to get nothing out of your candidates during those sessions. And it's honestly, for me, it actually has been a heartbreak with some companies that I was 
honestly following for many years and I've had these kind of experiences with them and now I'm like well actually I didn't want to work with them when I was in that room and now actually I'm not really considering interviewing again because it felt like so I don't know it just it just was not a pleasant experience and I felt like okay if they're not willing to <laughs> put the effort to put someone at ease try to set them up for success get the best out of them is this what happens in the day-to-day you know sometimes you just have these reflections and they might be a bit extreme obviously but for me it's kind of what goes through my mind it's like okay and once you've been burnt once it's kind of hard to go back to it if that makes sense yeah yeah I I've also experienced that that thing of de-idolizing my idols by having quite bad interview experiences with companies like big big names big tech companies that I've admired for so long and thought you know it'd be a dream to work there and I show up to the interview and I'm all excited and the person is just not like you said making me feel comfortable or they're just even not understanding what it is that you know, a designer does and, or yeah, just several examples of that. It's quite disappointing, but at the same time, it's also nice to kind of, for me anyway, it's been nice to, to pull those big idolized companies down from their pedestal and realize like, okay, they're, they're kind of shitty as well. (laughs) It's okay. Yeah. In a way it makes you look at them for what they are and it's, it gives you a bit more of a balanced view, I guess, which is maybe better in the end um, going back to things like design tasks or uh yeah design challenges i so one thing i've observed in my network of designers is more and more people are just blanket saying no to interview uh, processes that include a design task so people are just like if there's a design task i will drop out of this interview process which is great for them if they can if they can <laughs> um, yeah yeah <laughs> what do you do when what should what should one do when, especially in this landscape, this market where uh, there are a lot of layoffs and redundancies and and people need jobs uh, when you when you don't have the luxury of just saying no to interview processes because because they have a di- design task, for example, how do you navigate that? Yeah, I think for me this is quite personal here, and we we will all have a different approach. Just like some people don't mind whiteboard challenges, and they prefer them because they don't have to prepare in advance; they can just go in and just do it. Um, for me, I usually tend to see the design task as a way to double down on what I can do, and I'll be like, okay, I'll I'll show you then. <laughs> I'll show you what I can do, and I take it as an opportunity to apply what they saw in my portfolio to the task they've given me and and yeah so that's what I do but as you said I have the luxury of time um, and that not everyone has it I would also reflect on usually I reflect on what what who is the company uh, what impression have they given me so far do I want to work with them like you know did I have a good time so far do they still match what I want and if it's a yes then I would probably accept the task and if it's a no then that's when I would bounce but I wouldn't just put a blanket no um over it for the for the sake of it I think yeah I I have many principles so that that is not one (laughs) yeah I I mean I, I feel like I'm a bit of a hypocrite but I also as much as I despise design challenges 
there have been, of course, instances where I've done one, but reflecting back, and, and maybe this is cognitive dissonance, maybe I'm just justifying why, why I did them, but reflecting back, one thing I try to do to sort of counterbalance the fact that I was, was doing a design task was to see if I could flex or adapt or change the interview process in a direction I wanted. So I can give a couple of specific examples. Um, so one time I was doing a design challenge and I was sort of accepting it, but in return, I was asking to interview with specific people around the company that hadn't been offered to me during the interview process. And that was great because I think I men mentioned this on a very old uh, podcast episode. Um, that was great because um, uh, I got to speak to people around the company that um, they maybe hadn't thought were uh, relevant or, or valuable for me to speak to and it gave me greater insight into the company so I sort of redesigned the interview process a little bit uh, by accepting the design task uh, and another time I used the design task as a way to almost challenge and test the the company in turn so I was involving a lot of the people who were interviewing me and and almost using the design challenge to see, well, how, how well are they going <laughs> to rise to this challenge and, um, and respond to it? Uh, uh, sort of as a way of seeing how they work and if they could actually do it as well. Um, it's a bit vague example, but, and it's not easy to do. I think you, as there's confidence in saying no to a design task at all. And there's also confidence in saying, yes, I will do this design task, but I will uh, expect or would want these things from the interview process. I, I think it's fair to, and I think good recruiters often will ask you if you have everything that you needed to accept potential offer. And in that case, it could be sometimes that you've, you need a conversation with an engineer, for example, or a product manager. And I think it's totally fair to, to ask for those things. And yeah, I think it's perfectly acceptable. But yeah, I think it's hard like to say, should you say yes or no to design task? And then it's like, it's almost like you judge sometimes for accepting to do them. But it's like, at the end of the day, I feel like, again, as a candidate, sometimes you don't really have the choice. If you need a job, then you also have to kind of bend yourself, bend to like whatever the companies are asking as well. And it's it's a little tricky um I don't think you always get to have that choice so yeah as as much as we'd like it to be oh two two parts meeting each other to try and see if it's a good fit the, the power is very much in favor of the company hiring rather than the interview person yeah how do you find actually uh as a as a candidate in interviewing to navigate I guess how a company place themselves or at least talk about themselves and how do you extract the information that you need from people from the recruiter like from the designers that you meet or the hiring manager like sometimes I feel like it's quite hard to actually tell what's the culture and is the role really what they're talking about you know like how do you navigate that I think one of my techniques is I very often put on almost like my user researcher hat and try and figure out how can I gather the insight I want 
for example, let's say the insight I want to understand is what are the real frustrations and challenges people have with working here? And then I uh, hopefully I'll be given an opportunity to ask questions and not just be asked questions. Um, I try to phrase my questions so that I, I get to those insights that are quite intricate and nuanced, but that speaks to what they're really like as a company. And and sometimes I don't have to, it's not that difficult. Sometimes I'll just ask, you know, what do you find challenging about working here? Um, and they'll be very honest. And, and uh, most of the time I'm very good at telling. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard because other times they just straight up lie to you <laughs> and and they're good at lying or they or or maybe they believe in their own lies or maybe they they are presenting a vision of how they would like to work but that's not quite there yet but they're presenting the vision as if it's reality uh, kind of going back to this is the vision of how I'd like us to work at this company and we're hiring you to deliver on that vision <laughs> um, so yeah it's it's it can be very tricky yeah, what I find tricky is that I've I've caught myself at times as a as an interviewer. It's kind of almost like I'm putting the company hat and I'm like the ambassador of that company. And now it's almost like when people ask me how I'm finding it working here and all of that, can I really be 100% honest? Like knowing that at the end of the day, I am representing my company to this external person who has not obviously been invited to join the team yet and if I obviously say if I talk really honestly about the challenges of working in a place especially if it's been a toxic workplace then I mean let's be honest they will probably just run away and but then I don't know. I think you can't really expect people to be fully honest during that interview process. You can get an inch of it by how they answer. And if, you know, if there's a few silences on some, some questions and all that, but it's, it's hard to ask people to be truthful about those things because they probably feel like they cannot talk about it, that they have to keep it silent. And it's almost for you to figure it out when you, when you join, basically. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because they they need to sell the job, uh, right, almost. Um, so, yeah, I do think a lot of people on the hiring team self-censor themselves or filter out the really bad things and kind of just say the medium bad things to, to, to appear sincere. And they might be sincere, but it could be a bunch of things they don't yeah. tell. I mean, for me, I focus on the positive and I completely ignore the negative, <laughs> basically. So it's not, it's not a lie. Yeah. But... It's uh, it's a lie but omission, let's say. Yeah, yeah. I will say that though that when I'm on the uh, job hunting side, the times I've probed into what are the challenging bits about this job and I've gotten a very honest answer back, that's been so much in that company's favor. So um, again, I, I accepted a job and I loved that job um, uh, when... Uh, when I and when I interviewed uh, with this company and I asked you what do you find the most challenging about this job the interview the hiring manager told me it feels like I'm every day I'm going into work it feels like I'm going into war <laughs> which is a very extreme way of describing that there's a lot of negotiation there's a lot of um, not conflict well maybe conflict as well but there's a lot of making people understand there's a lot of 
challenges aligning people there's a lot of opposition in certain parts uh, and so it's just good to know that and to know that and still accept the job is is a good signifier for, for me uh, anyway or I recently also got a very good impression from a company that um, when I asked this question in the interview process they they said that morale is a bit low because the company hasn't been doing very well um, so maybe maybe people aren't as upbeat as they have been previously but it comes and goes in waves and that's that's the reality of working in a company and so when when hiring managers are telling me everything's wonderful we're so happy here we collaborate super well uh, everything's you know fine and dandy it's just I don't know that's just red flags for me yeah and rainbows and unicorns yes <laughs> I was wondering, actually, how much do you research outside what a company and we could tell you? So do you read reviews online about companies like on platforms like Glassdoor? And do you also reach out to other current or ex-employees to get a sense of why they left or do they like a place and so forth? Uh, reviews I usually read. Um, I mean, reviews on Glassdoor or on similar platforms are are like you know google maps reviews or whatever like people leave reviews when they're really pissed off or when they're really happy or they've been asked to review so you have to take it with a pinch of salt but but there is some insight to find there um and yeah sometimes if if i know a person maybe i previously worked with someone who's now at this company or who, who left really uh, recently um and i know that oh this person who's at this company now that I'm applying for we used to work together and our perspectives really aligned um, then I might reach out to that person and ask for ask for their advice it's not something I regularly do but it's it's yeah it's a it's a good way of getting a holistic or more holistic you'll never get the full picture but it's a good way of kind of getting insights from other sources than, than the people who are trying to sell you the job. Yeah, I think it's always helpful. Um, it can add a nice compliment to, to the picture. And I mean, if the company is, is good, usually people will have interesting feedback to give them, you know, that gives you a balanced picture usually. Um, I mean, I've rarely seen someone really like being, I don't know, completely shitting over their ex-workplace <laughs> when I was doing that. <laughs> So, so yeah, I agree. Reviews to be taken with a pinch of salt. Um, they are really useful, though. And sometimes you can notice patterns in them, um, which can be like, okay, probably want to inquire about this. Like, sometimes you might see that uh, work-life balance is not great. Then, you know, you should probably inquire about that during the, the recruitment process and all of this. So, I think it can give you a few a few things to dig into let's say at least during your your interview process yeah and very often that person does give a fair fair picture of the company as well i've several times had people come to me to ask me about oh i'm, I'm applying for this job at this company where you used to work how, how was it can you give me everything works and all and i do i do give the warts but i also do give the the bright bits and the the positives yeah i think people are actually can be a lot more honest because they're again you're asking them when they're not on the job anymore so exactly. if there was anything 
really challenging for them that they felt they couldn't talk about before. Now they can. And because they also had a period of reflection, they can probably reflect a bit more like, you know what, this place was very good for that, but this was very challenging. So you get a nice overview usually. Okay, so maybe one last question. Um, I was wondering, obviously we've talked a lot about what frustrates us, uh, but what, I guess, what framework or what healthy boundaries do you set for yourself when you're you're about to look for a job? Yeah, I think, oh, this is an interesting one. I think a good place to start is to really look inwards and identify who you are and what value you bring and be really solid in that identity. Um, And so after having gone through an exercise of looking inwards, like how, who am I as a designer? What is my experience? What is my worth? What will I accept? What will I not accept? Almost, yeah, doing this self-reflection exercise with yourself, then bring that outwards into the interview process and know when to say no and we spoke previously about you know it's it can be hard to say things no to things like design tasks but um if you have a strong sense of your value and identity then a healthy boundary could be to to know when to say no to a salary that's too low or to really stressful work environments like a long a very long commute and that sort of thing so knowing who you are yeah, I think this is really essential. For me, I've also, and maybe that's as I'm growing older, <laughs> um, and I get a better sense of who I am, because um, that's one of the advantages of uh, breaking into the 30s, uh, is that you, you know yourself a bit more. I I think I need, I've, I've kicked myself actually in the butt line before for not listening to my intuition. And now I actually spend a lot more time tuning with myself. So if I feel like something was odd in a conversation with someone or if it didn't feel right, then I actually listen to that a lot more because my intuition has been quite a good guide, actually. Um, and I actually try to figure out, okay, why did my intuition went off radar? Like, what was it trying to tell me? And I try to look a little bit into what signs were there and then... If I find and identify a big red flag, sometimes it's quite obvious, then I will probably, you know, turn away that opportunity. Sometimes it's quite subtle and it's just something that I need to clarify. Be like, you know what, I'm not actually sure about X, Y, Z. So I go on and ask more questions. But yeah, I think following my intuition has been has been quite good. And I think I need to do it more because it's often my, my best friend, actually, to, yeah, to just... It gives me a grasp of how I am feeling and experiencing something. And I think that's the the, the best um, indicator of that for me. Yeah, that's a great shout. Um, know who you are and listen to your gut and your intuition. Yeah. All right. This was a great um, cathartic <laughs> conversation. Uh, sharing our experiences of uh, shitty job searches and shitty interviews, but also reflecting a little bit on things we can do to deal with them effectively. Um, Things like setting healthy boundaries and knowing when to say no and challenging the people interviewing you in return. As always, if you like our podcast, you can 
rate and review us. We really appreciate it. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. We are at Design Cafe and LinkedIn, where we are also Design Cafe. And you can check out our beautiful new website, designcafe.com. Thanks so much. See you in two weeks.